Welcome to Feathers in My Hair, a Teen Mom Deep Dive podcast. I'm your host, Liz Bentley. Hello. Hi. Happy New Year. I <laughs> I cannot tell you how late I'm recording this episode. Oh my goodness. It's after 6 p.m. on Saturday night. So less than, I mean, like, what, six hours before this episode comes out. This is very late for me. Um, I've had a tough week getting adjusted after break. I'm in that phase where, like, you know, when you look forward to things a lot and then it happens and then you (laughs) have, like, dread afterwards because you feel like you have nothing else to look forward to, that's kind of, like, where I am. And I, like, I've had therapists like try and help me with that, but mm, it's just the way my brain works, unfortunately. So I have been like truly just struggling this week and I woke up this morning, I slept in, I got up, I took notes on the episodes. I then was like, I'm going to clean my room a little bit. And I like dusted my room. Then I went and cleaned the bathroom. Then I was like, I should work out. And I walked on the treadmill and then I was like, huh, I haven't really eaten today and I'm going to be hungry if I try and record an episode, eat some food. Then I was like, I just really want to take a bath. (laughs) Then got in the hot, hot, hot bath and then had that like post bath thing where I actually felt worse because it was like overheated. So I had to then lay in my bed for essentially a full hour um, on my wet hair. Well, I had my hair in like a topsy john, you know, what are those johns called? Uh, Topsy I don't know, turban twists uh, that I've been using for like 20 years. I seriously got rid of one recently that had to have been 15 years old. (laughs) I'm pretty positive I got it in high school, if not early college. But I like laid there. So now my hair is all fucked up. You know, I'm still just like not feeling great. I'm feeling asthmatic. So I took my inhaler. Um, I, I have like what was diagnosed in me as a child is called exercise induced asthma and it's like really not an issue for me except maybe once every few years I'll have an asthma attack that's like (laughs) they're not even that serious the issue is is that when I get bad asthma attacks or like when I feel an asthma attack come on I start to panic and then I have an anxiety attack because not being able to breathe is a really scary feeling. And so my anxiety attack makes my asthma attack about a million times worse. And people will be like, calm down. You like you you need to calm down to be able to breathe. And it just doesn't work for me. I actually haven't had an asthma. I can't really remember the last one that I had. I think the last one I had may have been in, on election day in 2016. Not like Trump. It was actually before the results came in. Um, but I had an asthma attack that day. And I think that might have been the last one. But occasionally I'll just feel a little like constricted in my lungs. And I do have a nebulizer, which I fucking hate taking. It makes me feel so shitty. But using my little fast action inhaler a half hour ago hasn't helped at all. So I guess I'm going to have to nebulize. I'm just talking. You know, I just wanted to get on this mic and talk to you, my dear friends. I know I don't. I mean, obviously, I talk about myself a lot, but it's like five minutes in and I haven't even mentioned the show Teen Mom. So maybe we should do that. You know, my life's not that bad. (laughs) I was thinking about going to see Megan tonight because, you know, M3G, however you spell it, 
because it looks fun. But I don't think that's going to happen because I don't really love going to late showings. Also, the thing with Megan is I'm worried about teenagers. I don't see movies in the theaters that have teenagers in them. (laughs) Like, There are no teenagers at like the... 545 screening of the Banshees of Iron Ash or whatever that fucking movie is called. Like, I I do not deal with teenagers. And I think that this is going to be a teenager heavy audience. And I'm a little worried about that. When I saw The Martian, spoiler alert for The Martian, years ago, um, some teens were being so fucking annoying. They were like getting up and down the whole time. And like, finally, they start to leave. And I was like, oh, great. Like, they came in late. They were leaving. And then one of them screamed out, he dies at the end, screamed it. I was so upset because like, I really liked the movie and I was like enjoying watching the movie. And I was like, OK, it's OK. It's OK if he spoiled it. It's OK. And he actually didn't end up spoiling it because surprise, he does not die at the end of that movie. But I just hate teenagers and movie and like the mall, you know, like <laughs> I hate teenagers in spaces where they're allowed to like really be teens, I guess is what I'm saying. So I'm not sure if I'll be seeing Megan or not, but I've heard it's very fun. I haven't seen a movie in a little bit, so I would like to go. I did not see Avatar because I don't watch action movies. I really don't see horror either very much. It has to be really compelling for me to go, uh, but I, I'm a not I'm a no-go on an action movie like I just I never want to watch an action movie no superhero movies no Mission Impossible no Top Gun like any anything for boys it's just not for me (laughs) I'm like very into the gender binary when it comes to entertainment apparently oh goodness gracious anyway if you want to hear more from me you should go to patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Last week I did, oh, I did a very long episode. I'm my friend Kion who runs the Real Housewives Order Instagram page, which is the best Instagram page that exists. I love a super niche account. And they came on and we talked about the Real Housewives of Miami because I'm like fucking obsessed with the Real Housewives of Miami now. I'm pretty sure we t- it's a two and a half hour long episode. It's so much fun. The week before that was Casey Anthony. Um, I, I've like never been more confused by something than the Casey Anthony documentary. Like, I went in with knowledge. I went in with a pretty sympathetic view of her compared to, like, you know, Nancy Grace Topmom, like, compared to that. I think my view of her was very empathetic or is, I guess it'd be sympathetic. I don't know. I, like, know the difference between those two words, but... (laughs) Not always, you know, I think it's sympathy, not so much empathy, feeling sympathy towards her. And I did not come away feeling that way. I came away significantly more confused about what happened to poor little Kaylee than I was before I started this documentary. Casey Anthony essentially waited 10 years to get revenge on her father by creating this documentary. And that is a fact. I believe that to be true. Like there is that has to be the entire motivation for this. And yeah, I also am just like kind of fascinated by Casey and how everybody in her life is like fucking obsessed with her. Like people that know her 
love her in a way that I find extremely interesting. So patreon.com slash Liz explains. I'm pretty sure I'm going to do a sister wise roundup uh, this week because the final tell all is going to air so I can, you know, do a roundup of the tell alls in the season. I'm so sad that it's coming off the air. I'm so sad the season is over. It was so, so, so good. So yeah, patreon.com slash Liz explains. Let's, oh, there's sad news. Okay. So if you have been around Feathers in My Hair for a long time, you will remember that early days, like early, early days, I did a special episode about like the characters in Janelle's world because at that point in time I was like still pretty deep in the Janelle of it all which you guys know I'm like very not deep in the Janelle of it all anymore but Janelle had a friend question mark named Taylor Lewis she appeared on the show I believe only one time she is in the first episode of season five is that what it is when Janelle you know after the show had gone off for uh, the air for a year. Janelle had got married to Cortland, broke up with Cortland, got pregnant by him, and had an abortion. And the first episode of that season is her having this abortion. And Taylor is the one that she's telling that to. So if you've seen that episode, which you probably have if you listen to this podcast, you've seen Taylor. Taylor was the baby's mother, like Cortland Rogers, Janelle's ex-husband's first child's mother. So they had a daughter together named Jordan. They used to call her Jaja. If you were on Twitter, if you were in Teen Mom Twitter or Teen Mom Junkies or the IMDb message boards or Tumblr, I think probably Tumblr too, back in like 2014, 2015, maybe a year. I think it's 2014. Like, you know, Taylor Lewis, like, you know who she is. She was like a big part of the Cortland of it all. Um, Unfortunately, Taylor passed. Uh, (laughs) It's not funny. Janelle, I like the reason I kind of laughed is because the reason that we know that Taylor passed is because of what Janelle posted. I was actually like, I wasn't surprised by this, but I uh, maybe six weeks ago, I'd been like, I need to check on Taylor because Taylor is one of those people that would like create a new Facebook every six to eight months and I would follow them. And I guess I just like hadn't followed her in quite a while. I missed, you know, finding her new Facebook. And I was like, I should go find Taylor and see what she's doing. So I found her new Facebook. She posts all the time. She's one of those people. Uh, She had a son in the last like two years. I think he's a little over a year named River. And I could tell she wasn't doing great based on her Facebook activity. It's not that she was posting like super obvious, like I use drugs stuff, but just things that indicate to me that you're probably still in like the chaos of addiction. Uh, Taylor has had a long addiction to opiates. She was addicted to heroin. Um, Taylor has been in and out of jail for sex work and drugs. Um, She's had a really hard life in general. She grew up in foster care. She was young when she got pregnant with Jordan and Cortland was like a very grown adult. Like I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, she was 15 and Cortland was in his mid-20s when she got pregnant with her first child. If that tells you anything, it's 
it's really sad. You know, she just has had a really unstable life. And Janelle posted yesterday or two days ago uh, that Taylor had passed with a extremely classic, extremely classic Janelle post that I'm going to read and we'll break it down a little. Okay, so Janelle got on Facebook and wrote, Taylor, what happened? Sad face, broken heart emoji. We were once best friends and we went our separate ways because of the different crowds we chose to hang out with. I wanted to see you eventually flourish as a woman from a distance, but was always rooting for you. I don't know what happened, but I'm very saddened to hear this news and I hope you're resting easy. I'm so sorry and sending you sending your family prayers. Some emojis, hashtag sweet angel, hashtag rest in peace. <laughs> and then she couldn't help herself, right? She wrote, look, she wrote a caption that is clearly centering herself, but fine. It It's kind of like that's how everybody writes if they're going to post online about somebody they know dying. Uh, Janelle decided to finish it off by putting parentheses. I feel awful for not answering her in March 2020, but I felt like she wasn't doing her best. Janelle, what? <laughs> what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> It's so not funny, but it's it's just outrageous. Janelle, as a human, I mean, speaking of empathy, like Janelle is really incapable of empathy. She's really incapable of expressing her feelings. Janelle has an extremely low emotional intelligence. Like I, she has very little emotional intelligence. And this post is just very her, right? Remember the famous one, the tweet she had where she wrote like her uncle almost died on 9-11 not because he was like in the towers and survived but like maybe could have been there that day type of thing this is like how she operates it's really it's in poor taste um the family hadn't posted anything yet about it which is really sad uh her sister made a post today basically being like we're I'm really upset that this got on social media before I even had a chance to like process it or really tell anybody so Janelle as a public figure should be aware about posting things on social media, right? Like Janelle knows that she's famous. And I know some of you are like, Janelle's not famous. Janelle's fucking famous. Okay. In Touch Weekly wrote about this because Janelle is a famous person. And Janelle should be like, okay, I see that nobody else has posted about this. I see that it's like not making the rounds. I'm not going to post about this because I know if I do, then it's going to be in the news. But that's not how Janelle thinks about things. I mean, obviously somebody told her or she saw some sort of posts on it, but I clearly she should have used more discretion. Um, You know, when my good friend Allison died many years ago, I didn't realize how fast I had found out. And I her cousin grew up in the neighborhood with us and was one of my very good friends growing up forever. And so I messaged her and I was like, oh my God, I'm so fucking sorry about Allison. And she wrote back, what do you mean? And I wanted, I like, I have never felt so awful in my life because I just, I didn't realize, like, I figured if I was finding out, it was like, it had been a while. Like, I, I didn't realize how quickly the information had gotten from like her family to because her friends like were there when she passed. And so it like very quickly spread around the friends. And like very soon after, 
my friend Kate had like called me to tell me. And so I figured if Kate knew and if I knew like their family knew and I didn't post this publicly on Facebook, but I like messaged her and I just I felt so awful and (laughs) I never want to do anything like that again. I try to be very aware of like, are we posting about this on social media or not? Uh, And just not reach out to people immediately after I find things out, like to give it a couple hours to make sure that people know. I usually like will follow up like just so are people talking about it yet? Do people know about it yet? Right? Like I'll ask you told me. I'm honestly like not sure. Like I don't, I doubt anybody realize that her cousins didn't know at this point yet but so I don't I'm not sure how asking would have helped so much but yeah so that made me feel awful I basically told somebody that her cousin and dear dear close friend died accidentally that made me feel really bad and if I was Janelle I would be obviously like extra careful but Janelle doesn't do that right that that's not Janelle's style she has to be the center of attention She posted some pictures of Taylor when she says they were best friends. No, they weren't. But they they were friends. I've seen a lot of people be like, (laughs) they probably weren't even friends, a fucking liar. But they were. Like, if like I said, if you were following back in the day, like they became friends when Janelle and Cortland broke up. And for a few months between Janelle like leaving Cortland and Janelle meeting Nathan and moving to South Carolina, her and Taylor had become pretty good friends. It's why she was on teen mom. Originally, Taylor and Janelle had obviously a very rocky start, as Janelle does with any of her significant others, ex-girlfriends. Um, Taylor at this point, God, she must have been so fucking young because I think I think she's like five years younger than Janelle, maybe. She's younger than Janelle for sure. And Janelle was, what, 22 in this season, like Janelle's still very young in this season. And Janelle, so Taylor was already doing sex work at this point, which she was already addicted to drugs at this point. She didn't really have full custody of Jordan. Jordan was living with the foster mom that had raised Taylor. Her name was Miss Gray. (laughs) The things that are in my head, you know, like that's sick. There are so many important things that I cannot remember. So many. I like will sit at my desk sometimes and like for hours try and think of things and it just never comes to me. But the name of Taylor Lewis's foster mom, you know, just lives in my brain. Oh, gosh. Uh, But Taylor hadn't been doing well. Janelle had a blog at this point. You know, remember people blogged. She had a blog at this point and she wrote extensively about Taylor being a sex worker on her blog. Um, I do remember one point there was, I can't remember if Janelle told a story that like essentially told on herself or if somebody found this out and told, but like at one point, Taylor was like kind of helping Janelle get into it, into doing sex work. Janelle didn't really end up doing it is what my understanding of it was. But yeah, they had, you know, they were friends for a while. I think it's totally reasonable for Janelle to feel sad about it. 
writing a Facebook post in which you say that you used to be best friends and that you should have picked up the phone in 2022 when she called is just in such poor taste. I've seen a lot of people be like, if your friend calls you, you need to pick up. Like, if you know they're doing bad, you should pick up. Mm, To that I say no. Although I will say Janelle had posted then again because Janelle, the thing that has always fascinated me the most about Janelle is how removed from her own behavior she is because she posted that and then later posted, always check on your friends. (laughs) So it's like, what, where, there, something is not translating here, Janelle, but I am pretty sure Janelle, like, genuinely doesn't see the issue with that. Like, I don't think that Janelle sees that people look at that and they're like, well, what? I I really don't think she even thinks they're connected. But when it came to like that line about her not picking up the phone because she didn't think Taylor was doing well. Now, is Janelle doing well? No, absolutely not. Does Janelle set boundaries boundaries with people? No, absolutely not. But I will say that as somebody in recovery who knows many drug addicts, there are a lot of people that I don't pick up the phone for. Um, It really, it sucks. But like, I will get messages from people that I was in rehab with or I knew in sober living eight years ago at this point, over eight years ago at this point, and I'll get messages from them out of the fucking blue asking me for money. And there's always a story, right? Like, so-and-so, this happened, and this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Once a girl I had not, I had not talked to in at least four years, I think, sent me a message and asked if I could loan her, I'm pretty sure it was $250 for her car insurance. And I was like, girl, what? Like, it was so weird. The the way that you requested it was so weird and different than like the normal way that people try and scam money. It was so out of the blue, so random. I sent her 40 bucks because I knew she would never pay me back. And that was all the money that I could afford at the time to send her. I definitely could not afford to send somebody $250 at that point and not get it back. Um, And so like I will give people money sometimes. I mean, rarely, but sometimes. And she would message me randomly and be like, oh, how, what, like, I'm trying to make a Venmo so I can pay you back. Like, she can't, you know what I mean? Like, she would pop up occasionally and be like, oh, I'm going to pay you back. And I'd be like, okay, like, it's been months and you can't pay me back $40. Like, mm, that doesn't really, that doesn't really track for somebody that's supposedly in recovery. Um, And so I, I, I get not picking up the phone, like knowing that somebody is not in a good place and knowing that they're a drug addict and deciding not to pick up the phone. I also like I know that feeling of regret when that person then dies. That sucks. But I do think that people need to like protect their peace above all else. And this is obviously like not a defense of Janelle, but and she shouldn't have wrote that. You know what I like? It's fine that she did that, but she never should have written that. It's just really sad. As I said, Taylor had two children. She was quite young. It has not been confirmed how she passed. Um, In Touch Weekly wrote an article last night in which they suggested 
well, she straight up said that it could be homicide. I read the article and they had talked to her sister and her sister said, like, we don't know what happened. I talked to the police and they're looking for two men that she would like was caught on camera with going into the hotel last night and the police want to like talk to them. She did not use the word murder. She did not use the word homicide. I kind of personally think that was In Touch Weekly taking liberties, which is fucked up. And if you saw that, I just like, I hesitate. You know, I ask you to hesitate in using homicide in this context because it does not sound like Taylor's family is alleging homicide They were just like repeating information that police gave them about wanting to speak to someone, which if you die of an overdose, the police usually will try and figure out like who you were with before you died. Right. Like that that doesn't mean anything really that they wanted to talk to these two men. Um, But like it it could obviously be like she maybe was killed. My bet would be I mean the sister put out you know a Facebook post today and said something like we don't really know what happened the autopsy is not complete yet which points to an overdose um or dying by drugs which is really sad or like some some non-obvious drug related death oh it's just it's so sad um it it is possible maybe she got some bad pills is that homicide I, this is a really complicated subject because I understand the idea of holding people responsible for selling pills that are not what they say they are, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I, I know there's a concept of like selling someone like a hot shot, which is like basically selling somebody rat poison to shoot up with. Like, yeah, that's probably homicide. But there's a new trend in the war on drugs, which is finding dealers and charging them with murder because they sold to a they sold fentanyl to a heroin addict, which to me. I'm not really I'm not really vibing with that. I think that that doesn't do anything to help opioid addiction. Uh, the reality is, is that people are not like selling drugs with the intent to kill someone. And obviously, like people that don't intend to kill someone, but kill someone should be held responsible. But drug addicts know what they're doing. You know, like, you know, if you're buying a pill off the street, there's a good chance that that's not a real pill, especially in this day and age. Like, you you know, that's a thing. I know when I was buying dope on the street, it was fentanyl was like still kind of new at this point in time. And I'm sure I've told the story on this podcast, but I was meeting up with a dealer and he told me he had to recut his bags like because somebody had overdosed and I was like, but I want those bags. Like I literally was like, no, I want the overdose bag because that means it's strong. I'll just be smarter than that person and not do as much of that. Like I'll, I'll do it in slower, you know, I'll take less at once. Like that's truly how my brain worked. So like if I had overdosed as a result of that, like that's not the drug dealer's fault. Also like a lot of times when these hap- like the arrests end up happening, the person's an addict themselves, like it just it doesn't do anything. Like we know that arresting people for stuff like this doesn't actually do anything. It's 
the prison system isn't fixing this. So, you know, who knows who these men were? It's unclear how she passed, but it's obviously very sad. Janelle is obviously a monster. <laughs> I will I will say it's kind of funny. Someone posted on Reddit like, oh, this girl, uh, this friend of Taylor's drags Janelle. And the person tweeted like, I was her friend. You were not Janelle. I was supposed to see her this summer and I didn't, but I was her friend. And I'm like, that's literally the exact same thing <laughs> that Janelle posted. That That is the exact same thing. So, you know, rest in peace to Taylor. If you do opiates, really drugs of any kind at all, unless you are getting it from the pharmacy yourself, please do yourself a favor and get some test kits get Narcan. Don't use alone. Make sure you and the other person know how to distribute Narcan. Carry Narcan on you if you live a life in which, I mean, if you live in a city, carry Narcan. If you like are on public transportation, carry Narcan. If you could ever be in a place where somebody has an overdose, you should carry Narcan on you. It's super easy to administer. You can get it for free. I highly recommend you look into that. If you don't know what Narcan is, it's the antagonist that can be administered through nasal spray that essentially reverses uh, overdoses pretty much immediately. Um, It's a really, I mean, just, just an incredible drug that has saved tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of lives. So a lot, and a lot of opiate related deaths could have been prevented if they had been able to be narcan So with that, let's take a little quick break and then we're going to talk about the re- the next chapter reunion. Okay, I'm definitely going to have to get my nebulizer out because I am lightheaded. There's no oxygen going to my brain right now. <laughs> Oh my God, maybe I'll get to go to the hospital later. No, the nebulizer is going to fix it. Okay, let's talk about the Teen Mom Next Chapter reunion. So Teen Mom Next Chapter is officially over for the season. Thank God, I guess. (laughs) I don't know. It wasn't that bad. Like, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't good, which is Teen Mom, right? Like, if when people are like, should I watch Teen Mom? I would say... No, but I wouldn't be like, do not under any circumstance watch Teen Mom Next Chapter. It's not painful. It's just not a very good show because not very much goes on in these women's lives. But they did a two-part reunion, which went by really quick. When the first one ended, I was like, really? Because almost nothing happens in the first one. The second one I found to be pretty interesting. It starts off with all of the girls on stage but Brie. Brie refused to come out because she didn't want to be on stage with Ashley. Now, she addresses this later when she comes out for her one-on-one. And I actually, I actually was like, Brie's really grown, which obviously oxygen is not going to my brain today because I don't think that's actually a true statement. But she did say that the last time that her and Kale had fought at that reunion, which by the way was 2018, which does not feel accurate. If you had asked me what year that reunion happened, I would have said 2015 maybe. <laughs> like, Although I, I do know that cannot be true because I remember Lux was 
it under one at that point. Because remember, Kale was like talking about how he didn't have his shots yet. Surprise, he never got his shots. But <laughs> and I know that Lux is about four years old. So I I do know in my head, but something about it being 2018 feels too recent. I don't really know. But she said that she started to feel when they were all backstage, I guess, she started to feel that like same rage that she had felt at Kale. And so she decided to just remove herself from the situation, which I think is totally great. I think it's what should happen. Um, And remember, this was filmed after the fight at Family Reunion, like that I think starts airing this week. So I guess I'll see if I like that and I want to talk about it. Maybe I'll do an every other week thing with Family Reunion the way that I did next chapter. I do think having the moms there will make it a little more interesting. The thing with recapping like these special shows is that the setup moments are so boring to me that I don't want to talk about them. Like I do not care to recap them like doing an obstacle course. That I don't care about. Although, you know what I have been thinking about? Rewatching Farah's family's marriage boot camp season because that was really good. And I love a setup on marriage boot camp, family edition, please. I'm like, bring those fucking German shepherds out. <laughs> like, Let's get those dogs biting people. That's something they love to do. They like put people in those suits and like let attack dogs go at them. I love it. I love it. I love when they do the fake funerals. I love, oh, especially when they have <laughs> child actors come out and use phrases <laughs> that the adults <laughs> have used in the show. So they'll have a child actor representing the cast members and start talking about when they were molested, when their parents beat them. It's so wild and out of pocket. I just find those scents really enjoyable, but like the ones that they had on family reunion were just not interesting to me. So we'll see how this family reunion family edition goes. They should not have called this first one family reunion because this is team mom family reunion family edition basically is how I'm going to be referring to it. But that fight had already happened. I think it was good that they didn't try and force Brie on stage. Um, No talk of Ashley's pregnancy here. Still don't know what's going on with Ashley's pregnancy. Still don't know if Ashley's pregnant. By the way, Kale, still no baby confirmation from Kale. She did post a video that had clearly like an infant seat with a little, uh, a baby mobile. Are they mobiles? Mobiles? Mm, I don't know. But one of those things in the background, like clearly an infant seat. It's so weird. Like, did Kale not actually have a baby? Like, I was so sure she had a baby. But now I'm like, what? Is she just never going to mention it? (laughs) Does she have a two-month-old infant or does she not? Like, I, I don't know what's happening. I really don't know what's happening. Um, And I don't know what's happening with Ashley's pregnancy either. But basically, they first have Taylor and Macy come out. Uh, One thing that, well, first they ask all the girls on stage questions, blah, 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 blah. Don't care. Me no care about that. They're like, so what about Roe v. Wade? (laughs) Amber, what do you think of Leah? (laughs) Not Leah, her daughter, Leah Messer. (laughs) So silly. Those little moments are so silly. Uh. Oh, actually, Cheyenne comes out. 
I forgot that Cheyenne was first. Uh, very, very little happens in Cheyenne's segment. They do mention that the shooting is going to trial soon. So I'm hoping that we're going to be getting some public record info. My public record girlies need to get on this. By the way, if you're watching Real Housewives Miami, it is so fun because Florida has the laws that like allow basically everything to be public record and accessible through database, easily searchable databases online. And so they're like constantly pulling up a marriage certificate or someone's mortgage. Like, I love it. I want more people like pulling up mortgages. You know, like I want more people being like, I went to dadecounty.gov and I found this information out about you. You should be doing that on Teen Mom. So hopefully we'll find out some more information about this shooting. They talk a little bit about Cheyenne's PTSD. I will say I thought Cheyenne looked incredible. She was just like in such a simple outfit. She was in black leather pants and just like a black tank top. It was very um, Sandra D at the end of what is that movie called? Grease? <laughs> yeah, at the end of Grease. And when she's in her bad girl era, I, I, I thought Cheyenne looked great. I mean, I think Cheyenne is beautiful. And when she dresses in a nice outfit, I think she knocks it out of the park. So Zach also came out and kind of was talking about his past. And I will say one thing that I thought was good of them to acknowledge is Cheyenne is like, yeah, I knew about all of this. Like we were dating on and off for years. And like, it's not like I didn't know this was happening. I was like, that's probably good. They address that. Uh, he said he got off probation early. Mazel tov. He's like, people think I have 60 UIs, but that's not true. And it's like, okay. He's like, maybe that was a clip from the show. I don't remember. But he's like, it's just I didn't show up to court. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, that's a big deal, Zach. You have to show up to court. No mention of the scheming, the fraud, you know, no mention of that. Speaking of scheming and fraud in jail, Jen Shaw going to prison for 6.5 years. She'll do five and a half with good behavior, but she got pretty lucky. Honestly, she got pretty lucky with that sentence. Her whole life won't be over when she gets out. You know, she'll still be able to like live a life post prison. So I guess congrats to her for that one. Zach, I guess, is in Dubai. Cheyenne and Zach are in Dubai. And he posted a picture of him and two friends. It's truly the weirdest picture. They're in like traditional dress that men in Dubai wear. I do not have a word for that. What is that called? You know what I'm talking about, right? Like (laughs) the white outfits, they're wearing those. And then they're all holding multiple credit cards in their hand which like here's the thing unless that's a fucking black card there's nothing impressive about holding credit cards like oh you can get approved for credit cards yeah me too should I take a picture holding my credit cards out like that doesn't mean I'm rich that doesn't mean anything like the reason that people flex with like cash is because we know that they actually have the cash like if you don't have a black card, I don't give a fuck about your credit card. (laughs) There's no need to ever show your credit card, but it's especially weird when you have a history of fraud and theft. You know, it's just, it's weird. Um, I don't think they'll ever address it. I think Cheyenne is very good at not addressing it. I think Teen Mom's never going to make them address it. So I guess we'll really never know about Zach. I see a lot of people say like, what does Zach do as a job? I'm pretty sure his job is being on Teen Mom. I don't think he has. I doubt he's doing real estate. He probably gets paid a nice amount of money to be on the show, Teen Mom. 
Okay, so this is when Macy and Taylor come out. It is interesting because Macy says that she and Jen and Larry and Taylor are in a much better place. She says that they're not doing great, but they've come to like a natural place of understanding, which I think is really good. She said that she's just glad that they're not acting like nothing ever happened, which I also think is really good. I think that that was probably why they had that blow up because they were all just like pretending nothing was going on for years. And yeah, that's usually going to lead to an explosive blow up eventually. So I'm glad to hear that. I was talking about that in one of the last throwback episodes I did, just like how sad it feels to know that they've just had a total destruction of their relationship. So I am really glad to see that. They did say that Ryan does not see Bentley that occasionally Ryan will go to the house when Bentley's at Jen and Larry's. I was also glad to hear that Bentley's going to Jen and Larry's. I have no idea how often he's going over there. But I mean, Jen and Larry raised him, you know, like they were Macy's co-parents. His grandparents love him very much. I hope that Bentley gets to see his siblings when he's over there with Jen and Larry and can see them in a safe way that, you know, probably doesn't involve. It just does not involve Ryan being there, unsupervised at least. They have Bentley come out, which I saw a lot of people criticizing this, and I'm like, why? They're like, Bentley should, Dr. Drew is a fucking nightmare for asking Bentley about his dad on TV. And like, Bentley went to therapy on TV. (laughs) The ship, it sailed, guys. (laughs) There's like a lot of things wrong in Bentley's life, and I don't think having a four question exchange with Dr. Drew on the reunion is going to be the most egregious of them. (laughs) He's a really cute kid. I was like, actually, I would love, okay, I'm a bad person. So I would actually love to see all of the kids come out and do this. (laughs) I mean, look, kids should not be on TV. But what do I always say? We can't talk about the ethics of teen mom. We can't think about the ethics of teen mom. And so Bentley comes out. Basically, Drew asks him if being on the show like impacts him at school. And he's like, no. And Drew's like, what's it like being on TV your whole life? He's like, I don't know. I've been on TV my whole life. That's Truman Show. (laughs) That's real Truman Show. Uh, But he says he likes it. He's fine with it. Blah, blah, blah. Drew asks him what he's learned in therapy. And Bentley said that he likes therapy because it makes him feel better. And I actually found this to be really like touching the way that he said it. He was like, I it helps me when my he said something like it helps me when my shoulders feel like really clenched. It helps me relax my shoulders. And I was like, oh my God, that is such an age appropriate way for a child to describe anxiety, right? Like to describe the feeling of anxiety and then also the feeling of the relief from anxiety, like to talk about it in the physical sense, which I think we as adults don't usually do, especially when we've been given therapy language. So I I loved that. I was like, oh, that's so great. I mean, kids talking about mental health is really important. Bentley going to therapy on camera is probably way worse. Did he go on camera or did they just talk about it on camera? I don't think we actually saw the therapist and Bentley together, but it's already on TV that he goes to therapy or that he went to therapy. And so 
I think it's fine to have kids like briefly talk about it in this context if they're already on a television show. Uh, they did. He, Dr. Drew did ask Bentley if he sees Ryan and Bentley kind of was like, nah. And then they moved on. But like, here's the other thing. Like, is it is that tough for Bentley to have to answer? Like, probably. But also it's Bentley's life. Like, if you have a parent that doesn't come around, like that is a regular question for you to answer. And I don't think that we should make it so taboo, right? Like kids can handle things. This is Bentley's reality. It's been Bentley's reality almost his entire life. And so these people being like, don't get Bentley on here to talk about his dad. It's like, he really wasn't talking about his dad. Like there were no questions about how Bentley feels about not seeing Ryan. It was not that. It was just, do you see Ryan? And Bentley said not really. And they moved on. And that's Bentley's reality. And I think that if we are like, oh my God, do not ask Bentley about that. What we're actually doing is like stigmatizing kids from talking about having a parent that's absent. Kids should be able to answer general facts about themselves without adults being like, don't say that. Like, please don't say that. Please. Like, kids deserve to be able to talk about their lives to an extent in which they're comfortable. And if Bentley's comfortable saying like, nah, I don't see my dad, then I have no problem with him saying, no, I don't see my dad. Actually, a woman that I work for my internship, she's really amazing. She's a uh, LCSW and she is an adoptee and works with adoptees. And she is developing, she's in a PhD program right now, and she's developing um, a like a clinical way to appropriately tell adopted children hard facts about themselves, which is really, really important. And there's actually almost no research into this. It's when you, okay, I feel, I felt that there was like a ton of research and adoption, right? And like post-adoption stuff, they're so fucking little. There is so little. I constantly will be like looking for articles or something and I'll like get on my little, you know, my databases that I have access to from my school. And I'm like, there's going to be a million articles on this. And there's almost nothing like for so many things related to adoption. And she basically, an example of this is like a child that was conceived through sexual assault, right? Like that child does deserve to know that about themselves. That's a fact about themselves and their biological family. So what is like the age appropriate way to tell a child this so that it doesn't like harm them, harm them long term? And it obviously will. It's trauma, but uh, there's not been a lot of thought put into that. And I think that like this would also help for kids that aren't adopted that have like taboo facts about them fam- their families and how kids learn these facts about themselves. Okay, then we have Jade and Sean come out. They're happy. Christy comes out and Jade's like, look, I don't really like her. <laughs> Jade really, <laughs> she's like, she's like, I just don't really need to see my mom that often. And I was like, that's so fucking healthy. Good for you, Jade. <laughs> like, when she said that, also, okay, I think Sean is doing 
so well. He clearly seems so happy. He said he's been sober for over a year. I'm so happy for him. And something I really noticed was they watched like their package and then they're talking about Sean and he says something about like being sober every day. And Jade is like, is that hard for you? In a really like genuine, thoughtful way where I was like, Jade really cares about Sean, (laughs) which I don't often feel right. Like, but she was actually asking Sean more engaging questions than Drew was, which I found to be kind of, well, not surprising at all. Not surprising that Drew wasn't asking very engaging questions, but I was surprised at how like keyed in to Sean Jade seemed. I'm happy for them. I really am. <laughs> like, I, Sean seems to be really doing really well, and I'm really happy for them. And I know I was like, it's kind of fucking crazy that Sean's just going to go to rehab and come home and come home to Jade. And they're going to do all the same bullshit that they did before, but it really doesn't seem like they are. It seems like they've both made changes, and I'm proud of them. You know, credit where credit is due. Okay. Then we have Devoin come out. And Devoin is, I guess this is before he went to treatment, right? Because he just got out of treatment, didn't he? Didn't I just talk about this? He went to treatment for gambling and I believe alcohol abuse as well. Um, He is on stage with Drew Nessa being pretty honest about the gambling addiction, that he's not in a good place. Um he said that he he randomly is like my girlfriend broke her foot and I was like okay (laughs) like I it was really Drew asked him something he's like well yeah my girlfriend broke her foot and I was like "Mm, okay but he said that he had reached out to a gambling hotline like a a gambling addicts hotline um but that he like couldn't go to therapy because he couldn't afford it I I'm guessing that they must have started filming again pretty soon after the reunion and that's when MTV sent him to treatment. That's what I would think. I kind of thought that they would be sending him to treatment. Like based on the way that Drew was talking about it before Devoin came out and then the way they were talking on stage, I thought they would be offering him treatment there, but they didn't, at least on camera that I picked up. I always miss things in these shows, you know? It's it's a curse of like having to take notes on a not that interesting of a show. <laughs> is that I definitely miss things, but I'm pretty sure this is pre-treatment and I'm 99% sure they did not offer him treatment, which I I just found kind of surprising. I was like, if you're going to have somebody get up on stage and say they want help, why is this media conglomerate not offering to send him to treatment? Like he want, he's saying he wants help. Get him on a fucking plane. You know, get him on a plane today. Like what, what are we doing here? He also says that he and Brie are not good and have not been good since he went on Kale's podcast. They were like, okay, let's bring Brie out. And Devoin was like, no, I'm not doing that. And he's like, we didn't have a conversation on camera all season, so I'm not going to have a conversation with her now on camera. And I was like, I, okay. I mean, I, <laughs> I, that ration, like that rationale doesn't really track for me, but sure, fine, if that's what you're feeling. They bring, they have him leave. They bring Brie out and she is really hurt by what Devoin was saying. She's like, I I do not understand the things that he's saying because he's not telling the truth. And they're like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, that Kale podcast, like so much has happened since then. We went to family reunion after the podcast and everything was 
good. Like she's like, he came to the party, the lawsuit party that I had and everything was good. And then suddenly he just will not talk to me and refuses to talk to me. And I don't understand why. And I don't understand why he's like lying about it now. I believe Brie personally, because I, okay. I think that if when Brie is in these situations, she's usually pretty good, especially at a reunion when being questioned at admitting like her part and stuff. She might not be taking responsibility for it, but she'll she's usually one of those people who's like, yeah, I did that. Mm-hmm. I did that. I did do that. And the fact that she's like, I don't even understand where he's coming from to me is very believable. She says that she at one point had texted him her therapist information, or I guess maybe the therapy center, and said, like, I have X amount of sessions prepaid for. I will transfer them to you so that you can see a therapist. And he never answered her. And once again, I believe that she did that. Like, I think that I've always said that. I think that Brie, like, loves Devoin in a familial way. I think that they all do. I think the DeJesus women look at, I've always said they look at Devoin as their like bum ass cousin that they love and they all want better for him even when they can't fucking stand him. And like I 100% believe that Brie would reach out and offer to let him see her therapist. Now, is that like the best way for Devoin to get therapy? No, I don't think so. And if Brie really wanted to like offer to get him help, I think it should have been like, you pick a therapist and I'll pay for it. But Extending, extending the offer was pretty generous, I think. And I hope they're going to be in a better place. I really do. Because if Bree and Devoin are not in a good place, he's not seeing Nova. She said that Nova doesn't even really want to see him anymore, which once again, I believe, because why would you want to see someone? Nova is so shy. She's so, she's been through so much trauma. Thank God she's in therapy. I hope they're doing family therapy and like really working on themselves. Oh, by the way, did we talk about this? That Brie bought a house for her, which is awesome because that house that she bought first was always intended to be for her mom. She said that from the minute she bought it, she's like, this is my mom's house. It's fully paid off. Like, I just want her to be able to retire there and live there for the rest of her life and not have any worries. And she just bought a second brand new home that she paid for in cash, which like, is truly amazing. I see, I always see people be like, actually, it's a better investment if you get a mortgage and then you use that money that you would have paid up front in investments. And it's like, okay, yes, sure. Well, right now I would argue probably not because interest rates are so high, but like Bree's not doing that. <laughs> like, should Bree do that? Sure. But Bree's not doing that. So having a paid off house, and it doesn't look too big, like a reasonable house that she can afford property taxes and utilities and HOA on after teen mom goes off the air, I think for her and her situation, that makes a hell of a lot more sense than trying to become like, be, I was going to say financially literate, but like that's a a few steps above financially literate. I think that if you want to invest you absolutely should. And I think that all of these women should have money managers and stockbrokers 100%. But I do think that when you are making a lot of cash and you know that cash source could be cut off at any moment, 
it's not a bad idea to set yourself up in a home that you can afford the upkeep on regardless of your status of being on TV. Especially because like, it's like, we'll put the rest of that money in investments and then pay them more, blah, blah, blah. It's like, you have to be pretty good at money to do that. Like you have to have a lot of control to be able to do that. And it's probably better for a lot of people to just buy the house in cash. So good for her. Brie is just like, she's just confused about Devoin. She does, they do talk about Bobby and she's like, well, I told him I wanted space and he didn't reach out for two weeks. And it did make me laugh because Dr. Drew was like, you what he's like you set him up for that and she's like well I just know like I would reach out if somebody told me they wanted space (laughs) Dr. Drew does ask about Janelle and she's like well Janelle saw saw I was having the party and said she would love to come so I invited her and she's like I love Janelle Brie girl what girl what (laughs) okay okay um, they kind of talk about Ashley and the issues between them. So then Leah comes out and Drew is like, hey, girl, what the fuck is up? <laughs> Which I appreciated. I appreciated them just being like, none of this makes sense. We just saw you getting engaged and being so happy. And now you're sitting here single. Jalen's not here. What the fuck is going on? So here's the deal. Jalen's gay. Like, I have never felt more sure of anything than I do after watching that segment. Maybe he's not gay. Maybe he has some gender identity stuff going on. There, There is something... I don't know how you could watch this segment and take away anything other than this being gender sexuality related. Like, that is the only thing that makes sense. So Leah, of course, signed this NDA, as we all know, but they, so they kind of, you know, talk around it. Leah says that she is still very confused about it. She's like, I, have we been living a lie? I don't really know what's going on. And Drew goes, it's really interesting. She's like, he's like, so you didn't cheat? And she's like, no. And she goes, you know, eventually I think Jalen will talk about it, but it's his story to tell. And remember, Victoria had that that post about how like Jalen needs to live his truth and tell his story where I was like, that sounds like she's saying he needs to come out of the closet. So Leah starts to say like, he needs to tell his own story. He needs to tell his own truth. I will say, and I said this before, like I'm honestly quite proud of Leah. She's like, I am brokenhearted, but I'm going through the motions. I'm not going backwards. I'm pushing forward. Like truly good for you. Like she just had such a major destructive moment and she powered through and seems pretty together here. Like, really, props for Leah. She's done the work. She's clearly done the work. So Dr. Drew asks if what happened between them is something we should feel bad about. Should we have empathy? Meaning the thing that Jalen did, should we feel bad for him? And Leah goes, yeah, yeah, we should have empathy. You know, I, I think it's just society. Okay, okay, okay. And they talk about the girls and she's like, you know, they still love Jalen. They want to see Jalen, but like 
they want to see him as him. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, apparently, Addy say that Addy is upset because Jalen made a promise to them that he didn't keep. And I'm like, yeah, she probably is. And that's why you shouldn't like let men that you barely know make promises to your children. That That is the reason. This is the exact reason why. Dr. Drew asks, is this something about him that you're just accepting? And Leah goes, yes, you can't change someone. You know who you are. How am I supposed to have a romantic relationship with that? That doesn't make sense. Uh, Nessa brings up like, you know, a lot of people said that he was using you. They like he just wanted clout. And this was Leah's response. I think Jalen genuinely loves us at the capacity he knows how to love. Because if you genuinely don't know who you are and don't love yourself, how can you love someone else? Then Dr. Drew goes, wow, yeah, I mean, I imagine the stakes are really high for him. Like, what the f- what would find out? Um, he, sorry, he said, imagine the stakes of him for him of what fame implied if he was hiding things. That must have been very difficult. And Leah's like, yeah, uh-huh. Drew, like, Drew was like, that boy is gay. Like, he was that TikTok sound of, that boy is gay. And I really believe that. Like, I was, I don't know if MTV wrote all those questions, but I was, like, pretty impressed with the way that Drew navigated this conversation because she didn't really say anything, but she also said quite a lot. And the questions he was asking, I thought were so good when he's like, should we have empathy for him? Would society judge him? Is he hiding? (laughs) Oh, gosh. Um, And then he goes, do you know if Jalen has more plans to be honest and be himself going forward? And Leah says he does. And Drew goes, so then he'll like reveal it all and it will all make sense? And Leah says yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Caitlin and Tyler come out next. Honestly, my note was that they seemed happy. They like, they just really seemed happy, which considering their childhood, I think is really noteworthy. Ashley comes out her and Barr talk about, you know, what's going on in their lives. Ashley does say that basically she doesn't like the other girls, that she didn't like getting that bracelet in the mail. Apparently, Leah texted Ashley and told her that everybody was talking shit on her at that weekend. Leah's a little shit stir. Leah is a little shit stir. She's talk- Ashley's doing this like really like monotone voice thing that she does. I've noticed when she's trying to appear like she doesn't care. She's very much in that like I don't really care mode, which I personally don't like. I think it's pretty off putting. Um, I think that Ashley is significantly more likable when she's being like open and vulnerable. Okay. Now Amber comes out, which is the end. She's the last one to come out. And her segment was obviously, obviously, Amber was not in a good place. Because if you'll remember, that phone call that she had with Ashley took place after the filming of this, where she said that she was like going to gut Ashley and was like screaming bloody murder at Ashley, if you'll remember. I posted that on Instagram when it happened. So maybe a couple months ago, I'm sure it's an easy find. Amber screaming at her. 
And I was like, wow, Amber's not in a great place. And it's very clear that this has all kicked off from that. I'm assuming this was filmed in LA because she said that she saw James the day before. And I'm thinking that really triggered her. I'm guessing that she wanted to have more time with him because she was still going to be in LA and Andrew probably would not let her. So she comes out and they watch the preview and she's like, I just, she's using such a monotone voice. Like one that you really don't hear from Amber often because she's usually a lot more agitated and it's honestly kind of unnerving (laughs) because at least an agitated Amber, like we know this Amber was like, "Mm, this is kind of scary. So she basically is like, I just hate reliving this stuff. She's like, I hate being on the show. Basically, she's like, I hate going through bad shit, feeling like I'm over it. Then it comes on the air. Then I have to come here and talk about it. And Dr. Drew goes, well, you know, I thought like you'd be a little more used to that at this point. She goes, you never get used to it, which like fair enough. But it also like you should be used to it at this point because this has been your job for your entire adult life. Like this is your job. And I'm not saying it's not that doesn't make it hard, but none of the other girls seem to have such a struggle with it. And I think it's because they've all learned to adapt, right? Like they have been forced to adapt and develop whatever coping skills to deal with that. And I think that Amber is completely incapable of developing those coping skills. And so I like I always have said this like Amber makes me sad because I really think that she is a very miserable person like I think her life is hell and I I don't mean like the the exterior stuff like I think being in Amber's brain is hell I think it's a really sad hard place to be and I do not envy her and this whole conversation especially about her being like I can't deal with what it means to be on TV is it's really concerning. Um, like men- mental health wise, it's a real big red flag. Amber should not be on television. She does not have the ability to handle this. The reality is, is that like most people could not handle it, especially if you are a person that struggles with mental health issues, especially as severe as Amber does. Like that probably should be illegal. Like she, <laughs> she should not they MTV should not be allowed to have her on air for Amber's own health. But the thing is, we know from the court filings is that Amber makes $600,000 a year. So she's not leaving this fucking show. That's so much money. Even after taxes, because it's 1099, so pop 30% off of that, which, you know, who knows if Amber pays taxes. They don't love to pay taxes. But even after taxes, management, lawyer, like you're easily netting $250,000 a year. <laughs> That's so much money. And most people like can deal with the trade-off and I just don't think Amber can, but I'm also like what else is Amber going to do? MTV should be sued for <laughs> Amber, honestly. They never should have put Amber on TV in the first place. And I do believe that despite all of the negatives of being on this television show, all of them and all of the terrible things, everybody is better because they no longer live in poverty, right? Like full stop. I think poverty is like the number one greatest risk to your health, like the number one life stressor. And all of these cast members have 
that were living in poverty before, which was the majority of them, no longer live in poverty. Their children will have their education paid for. They live in stable homes. So like despite everything else going on, I do think that not living in poverty outweighs every negative thing attached with this show. I really do. And I know that's kind of a controversial opinion because I think a lot of people will be like, well, it it shouldn't come at the expense of the children. But, be, you know, like I said, I don't know if you get this on TikTok, the like anti posting your children online thing, which I'm not I'm not saying I disagree with. I do think, though, it's kind of like a kind of a very millennial or Gen X like idea of privacy in the internet that I do not think will necessarily apply to Generation Alpha, right? Like I I don't think it's going to translate the same, but whatever. You don't want to put your kid online, don't put your kid online. That's totally fine with me. But there is like a huge conversation on TikTok about like if it's okay that these kids are online for content if it means that their family's making money. And for the most part like no. But I will say like I think what we know about poverty, right, the health effects, the limiting education, the trauma that is living in poverty, and that is like the number one, like our number one crisis in America is poverty. It makes everything so much worse for people. I really think the trade-off of not living in poverty is probably worth being on this show. Like, I mean, for the Messer girls, you know, like, I I think that they have a better life even if they have to deal with TV. I do. So I don't know about Amber, though. She is the one that I'm like, I just don't know. Obviously, it's better that she does not live in poverty, and that's good. That's a very good thing. But I, I don't see this having a happy ending for Amber and I never have. You I'm like I've always been worried that this is just going to become too much for Amber to handle and something will happen, you know? Like I just I really I worry about her. Okay, so back to the reunion. They're talking about James and you know, she says that like it's okay, it's going okay. She just is really upset about what happened. They're kind of talking about Leah and how things are with Leah. And she says, you know, we're in a really good place. And Drew brings up that Leah said that Amber treats her and James differently. And Amber's like, well, yeah, like it's because I've been sober, which when she says that, I'm like, question mark. But okay, we'll go with what Amber says. She's like, I've been sober for James's life. So we have a bond that I did not have with Leah. And she's like, I've just had to get over that guilt of not having that bond with Leah. And Drew says, yeah, that guilt for not being there for her, which is a totally reasonable thing to say, because that's basically what Amber was saying, that she did not bond with Leah because she was on drugs and in prison. And she was not like what Amber, what you're saying when you say that is that you were not there for your daughter because it doesn't matter if you were physically there. If you were not bonding with her because of drugs, you were not emotionally there for her. But when she says this, Dr. Drew or when Dr. Drew says like, yeah, the guild are not being there for her. She goes, what? (laughs) I don't know what you're talking about. I've always been there for her. That's ridiculous. Who says that I wasn't there for my daughter? Drew is caught off guard because I will say Amber and Drew have always had a pretty good rapport. I think that 
Drew has always had a lot of empathy for Amber a lot and gives Amber a lot of leeway and a lot of validation that I don't think that she gets for many other people. And you can actually tell that Dr. Drew is like caught off guard and a little upset by the way that Amber's reacting. And he says, he's like, Amber, I'm going to be honest with you. Like, I'm a little like you're being a little unclear. I don't really understand like what you're trying to say. And she goes, no, I'm being very clear. Everything I'm saying is extremely clear. Drew smartly pivots. <laughs> He's like, okay, let's talk about your custody and how devastating it is. And, you know, Amber says, it's completely unfair to have your past substance abuse issues and your past mental health issues used against you in court when it comes to your child. This is going to be Amber's thing forever, I think. We all know that Amber, the past, the past, the past, the past. But like, okay, here's my thing. When Amber talks about Leah and the past, she seems to be talking about pre-prison, right? She does. She rarely acknowledges this time period of like 5 to 10 or 11 of Leah's life in which she was not in prison but not a parent to Leah. And the fact that like she calls that her past is very it tells me that she is still not in a good place basically because she's like my past substance abuse issues and it's like okay so do you mean the ones from when you were when Leah was a baby or do you mean whatever was going on when you got arrested for the machete attack like do you mean that because I've never heard you actually speak to that She's never talked about that. She's never claimed that she was like back in her addiction at that point. Whenever she talks about the addiction, it's pre-prison. So I don't think they're taught like I don't think your 10 year old substance abuse history is why you don't have James. And also, once again, I want to remind everyone that, yes, James was allowed to move to California But she actually has more time with James now than she used to because she used to get like three days a week of like four hours of unsupervised visits. And now she'll get like three continuous days in a row of unsupervised visits in which James stays with her physically. And she goes to California and then he comes to Indiana. And so while it's obviously like extremely hard to have your child living so far away. I'm not like dismissing that. I do think it's interesting that she has never, on the show at least, acknowledged that. She's never been like, I'm going to put my best foot forward because she can't do that. That's not how her brain works because she's still extremely mentally ill, right? Like here, a person that was like in true recovery, this, in my opinion, is how they would talk about it. How does it feel that your son was allowed to move to California? You know, it's devastating. Like, I love him so much. I want to be able to see him every day, if not every day, at least every week. Having him be so far away is hard because, like, if something happened, you know, I I wouldn't be able to be there. I've actually been considering maybe moving there. I've been talking about it with Leah and Gary and what my options are and what we think looks best. And, you know, this is so hard, but I just try and remember, like, I do get a lot of time with him. And that time I have with him is so special because 
I no longer have supervised visits for about four years. I had supervised visits with him and that was really hard. And I was never allowed to have him sleep over. And it's so nice that we get to have a sleepover now. And all I'm hoping is that like we can, Andrew and I can continue on this co-parenting path in that like in the future, I'll be able to spend more continuous time with James. Like there is a way to express like your anger and upset that your child was allowed to move thousands of miles away, but also acknowledge the benefits that came out of that. But Amber doesn't, she can't think like that and she never has been able to think like that, right? Like she's never been able to look at positives and her negatives. And that's fucking sad. And that's what I mean by like it's hell in her brain because that's really fucking hard to like never be able to pull a positive out of almost anything in your life. That's a that's a struggle. That's a real struggle. So basically she's saying about the judge, she goes, you know, she pretty much just wanted to go off past shit. And to me, that's disgusting and absolutely degrading to all women who have fought like me for years to get their children. Okay, first of all, I love when Amber like claims to represent the every woman. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, you're really not in the same position as every woman that's struggling to get her children back because like you have high powered attorneys. And the majority of mothers that are trying to get custody that has, you know, been removed from them because of substance abuse issues or mental health issues are at such an uphill battle that Amber has never faced in regards to custody with James. But once again, she would never acknowledge that. She can't acknowledge that. She thinks that like what happened to her is what happens to every other woman. And it's like, you probably paid $100,000 in lawyers you know? And that's why you're able to see him as often as you are, even though he's living away from you. Like, I don't know. I have seen so many mothers in sobriety with no fucking money get their kids back out of foster care. They fucking work so hard to do that. And they're so, I, I, the family court system can be so unfair and I'm not saying that it isn't unfair and there's so many people that like fight for years and years and still do not get the outcome that is in the best interest of the child. Um, well, one, I'm still, I kind of think moving to California is probably in James's best interest. I don't know. I don't know about that one, I guess. It's too unknown since we don't really know Andrew. Well, we do and it's not good, but we don't really know like what James is like now and what Andrew's life in California is. So, but Amber really views herself as that the every woman that's just been like so abused by this system. (laughs) Like she has no part in this at all. She's like, it's just a shock. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make any sense. There's nothing to back up any of the claims whatsoever. And I just didn't think that's how court works. And Dr. Drew goes, well, you know, it's a family court, like the constitutional stuff that is in regular court, like doesn't apply. And she goes, I don't give a fuck what type of court it is. I don't give a shit. Drew is like, what the fuck? (laughs) Oh, gosh. And he's like, I'm on your side. (laughs) And she basically is just like, I don't give a fuck. I don't give a fuck. I refuse to acknowledge anything you're saying, essentially. Um, so she also says, all I know is that me and my son had an amazing relationship and it was torn away from us. Once again, you still have a relationship with your son, babe. You still do. But 
it's all or nothing with Amber. Either she's 100% in control or James has been torn away from her. There are plenty of parents that live long distances from their children that still have such an active role in their lives. And it's obviously never an ideal situation, but if, if, if you're not living in Amber's home, you might as well live in Timbuktu, I think. So then Gary comes out and they, you know, they talk about the custody ruling, although he says it was a big turning point for Amber and Leah because Leah was really able to get a lot of empathy for Amber in this situation because she could really see that Amber is going through it. And they talk about how disgusting the house was. And Amber's like, you know, I've just been like in a really depressed mood. I just don't like talking about this. I don't want to talk about it. I'm just in a bad mood. And Drew's like, yeah, we can tell. <laughs> She said, I'm very annoyed and depressed. I can't see my son while he's here when all I want to do is hold him and hug him or something. Drew's like, so there's clearly a lot of anger here. Like, what do you do with the anger? And she's like, well, you know, like just something inside me tells me it doesn't even matter if I'm angry because I still won't get to see my son. It doesn't even matter. I'm like, that is not what he was asking her. That is not what he meant by that. But okay, Amber. Oh, gosh. Amber not doing very well. And it's really not surprising to me that she's acting this way, knowing that she made that phone call to Ashley. So with that, let's wrap it up here. Patreon.com slash Liz Explains. Hear more from me. I think next week will probably be a throwback episode. I get I'm I'm going to check out if family reunion premieres this week. I'm going to see, you know, what what the dealio was that um I'm definitely looking forward to talking about more throwback OGs. I hope everybody has a lovely week and I'll talk to you again soon. Bye. This podcast is brought to you by Solid Listen Network. Find me on Instagram at feathers underscore pod.